following podcast has not been rated. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fact. And here's your host, CJ Newman. Hey, 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 you're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too with me, CJ Newman. Our audience is growing, ladies and gentlemen. We are now on Apple Podcasts, so that includes now Apple, Anchor, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Whenever, wherever you can possibly get your podcasts is where we're able to deliver to you. And don't forget, we're still on YouTube. So, with uh, that in mind, this week I've got two guests this week that are going to be co-hosting with me. I've got uh, Tyler Furness returning from last week and from the first episode here on The Fapt. And then I've got uh, the returning at PFTPM Posse, so that's Bobby. Tyler is a Minnesota Vikings fan. Bobby is a Dallas Cowboys fan. So... This week's episode is going to be very interesting. I came in with six uh, vocal points, six uh, parts of the format that I wanted to cover. And we covered much more than that. And we uh, even changed some of my format in the middle of it and towards the end. So it should be a pretty interesting podcast. Just peeling the curtain back for you guys a little bit. Just want to let you know. We actually recorded this one during the Thursday night football game this week. So it was the Dallas Cowboys versus the New Orleans Saints. And it was pretty hilarious listening to Bobby's reaction to the Dallas Cowboys actually doing pretty well against the New Orleans Saints in their up-tempo offense. I can tell you that if you don't like salty language, you're not going to like this episode. And also, if you are one of those people that like politics, you're not going to like this episode either. We avoided politics, but I can tell you that everybody in this podcast is considered politically incorrect. We uh, certainly... Had a good time filming this one, and without further ado, I want to be able to bring to you guys at the real Forno and at PFT PM Posse. All right, welcome back to the Fullbacks Are People Two podcast, the Fapt. Today, my guests are at the real Forno and the guy who runs the PFT PM Posse. These guys both actually run the PFT PM Posse, Bobby. So, uh, at the real Forno, how the hell are you? You know what? It's been a long day, but I'm really excited to be here and have some uh, good football talk. How are you? I'm doing pretty damn good, and I'm not going to leave you behind, Bobby. How you doing today, bud? You know, I can't complain. I don't think my day was as rough as Tyler's, but, uh, you know, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have to talk you football. You guys, are, uh, you guys have been my two best guests so far, and it's no offense to anybody else that's listening that has been a guest on my show, but... Uh, you guys have definitely been very uh, adamant about what you do, and I definitely appreciate it. Of course, the house phone rings while I'm in the middle of a podcast, but uh, hey, that's that's what editing's for, if I decide to. Um, nonetheless, I can't. I can't believe you have a house phone. I know somebody was just bringing that up the other day to me. They were as I was on a Skype call with them. They were like, "Is that a house phone ringing in the background? What the hell is a house phone? It's 2018." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I know. What are you gonna do?" It's Doug Flutie on the line dialing ten ten eight one one. One eight hundred collect. It's it's still a thing. I think. Uh, all right, guys. So we got a pretty big agenda today. I want to talk about football. Believe it or not. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about the first thing on the list here. Uh, Joe Flacco, uh, actually, I need to edit this format. As of today, has officially come back to practice. Have you guys heard about uh, Joe Flacco's hip injury? 
Yeah, actually, uh, I have, and I heard that not only was he uh, he returned to practice, but he was very limited still. At least that's what was on PFT earlier on. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, with his hip injury, he's been out for the past two weeks, and Lamar Jackson's been getting all the first-string snaps, and uh, that obviously elevates RG3 into uh, backup status for the time being. But uh, his... He's he's not looking good for this weekend. Obviously, it's it's already Thursday, and he's just now getting back to practice. So I would think that Lamar Jackson's going to get the start this weekend. What, what do you think, Tyler? Oh, I absolutely think Lamar Jackson's going to get the start. John Harbaugh knows he's borderline coaching for his job, even with Ozzie Newsom and Eric DaCosta liking him. Uh, he's underperforming. Lamar Jackson's got him two wins in a row. A hip injury is no joke. It limits your mobility. It limits your ability to stride forward, which also... Uh, eliminates a lot of technique for quarterbacks throwing the football. I think he has no choice but to start Lamar Jackson until Joe Flacco is at least 90%. And even then, you probably still go with Lamar Jackson. Uh, yeah, that it makes sense at this point. Uh, the fans are certainly clamoring for him around here, but there's some diehards that think that we have a better chance of winning with Joe Flacco than we do with Lamar Jackson. So uh, what, do you, what do you think, Bobby? Do you think that it's a better shot at, with Lamar, or do you think it's the better shot with Joe when they're both healthy? Well, I mean, I think 2-0 and right now tells you where, they, where that's at. <clears throat> so let's talk about the statistics of these guys right now. So Joe Flacco on the season is 232 for 379 on attempts. He's 2,465 passing yards, 12 touchdowns, and 6 interceptions. Lamar Jackson obviously has only had two starts this season, but he's seen a lot of uh, field time as he's been in the Wildcat. He's been coming on the field playing wide receiver, running back, uh, H-back, a whole bunch of different positions. But uh, in the meantime, he has had 34 for 56 attempts and 415 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, three interceptions, and I forgot to pull up his running stats, but most of his stats are on the ground. So um, he has uh, two rushing touchdowns on the season. And uh, for, let's see here. Whoa, is that right? 329 uh, rushing yards? Damn. This guy is a machine on the ground. He's 5.1 average on uh, rushing yards. So obviously this guy is a bit of a contrast to Joe Flacco. And uh, let's let's go ahead and bring up what uh, Mr. Florio thinks on Pro Football Talk. He's He was talking for the past couple days about this, and he's been clamoring for it. He thinks that they should constantly do the... Two quarterbacks said. I'm personally not a fan of the two quarterbacks said. What about you guys? Bobby, you? Yeah, I mean, how can you not be a fan of it, though, CJ? I mean, it, it works. It makes the defense have to not only study and prepare for both of them, but, you know, you've got them both on the field, two guys that can throw the ball. Now then, I don't think you should be taking Joe Flacco out there and making him run routes or anything like that. He should be <clears throat> primarily the quarterback, and then sometimes – whether it be a handoff to Lamar Jackson or a quick you know, screen pass, and then Lamar can run or throw it, throw it again or, or throw it even back to, to Flacco. But I think they've lacked a lot of creativity when they've even had Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco on the field together. It's been a lot of the same stuff and just not you know, that effective in a lot of the games. I'm going to have to agree with you on that, Bobby. Uh, the thing with the creativity of this is the way that they're flexing Joe out is they're putting him, typically when Lamar gets on the field, he'll take some uh, shots at quarterback, and then Joe will be the wide receiver. But Joe will just stand there with his hands in his pocket and pretend like he doesn't give a shit, and obviously he doesn't. He hates the Wildcat. So yeah. it's it's definitely not creative. It's not helping anybody. Nobody's covering Joe. 
obviously, when he's out on the field because he doesn't give a shit about the Wildcat formation. So it's it's definitely lacking creativity. Tyler, what do you think? Well, being a longtime Florida Gator fan, we've seen this quite a bit with the Gators. Uh, Steve Spurrier, right after Danny Werfel left college after the 96 season, uh, used two quarterbacks for three straight years. Uh, Jesse Palmer, who you may know as The Bachelor, and Doug Johnson. And it was very successful, but it was also an era of college football where he was the outlier. He was the run running the run and gun offense. He was the guy running spread concepts and everybody else was still power. eye, a lot of option. So it was, they were able to do some different things with both guys and they were able to be very successful. Now it also helps when you're a school like Florida, you have a huge talent pool to uh, get from and you're a huge draw as far as recruits. Now, when you get to the NFL level, everybody's on a very similar playing field. Obviously, you have some management structures that are better than others that bring in more talent. But you can only be successful for so long running these kind of concepts unless both guys are 100% on board. And watching the Ravens this year, Joe Flacco is not on board. He hates the fact that he's doing this just by body language, how the effort he's utilizing with his uh, with these plays. And it's it'll. I think it'll work with RG3, but as long as Joe Flacco is the quarterback – it's not going to be that successful because Flacco's not invested. Going to have to concur with you on that one. I think we're on the same page on that. So, um... hey, Tyler, didn't didn't Spurrier try that same multi quarterback method in the NFL when he was with Washington? Uh, yes, he did, and it didn't work. Shane Matthews, uh, Danny Werfel, he just tried to recycle his old quarterbacks, thinking his system that it'll be able to work, and it didn't. Yeah, and as a Cowboys fan, I can, number one, uh, first and foremost, relate to the absolutely zero creativity on offense. And number two, I thought Steve Spurrier was working pretty well in Washington, again, as a Cowboys fan. And that's why I don't want Mike McCarthy to get fired. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that one. So more to come on that one. We got a topic on uh, Mike McCarthy later. We'll, we'll definitely circle the wagons on that one, Tyler. Um, so... Lamar Jackson is going to get the start this weekend. Lamar Jackson, very contrasting style, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, his coordinator, Marty Morningweg, is very used to actually working with Lamar's style of quarterback because, believe it or not, Marty Morningweg, when he was uh, offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, used to work with Michael Vick. So working with Michael Vick, he's able to put together like a, a read option, a run-pass option, just for people like Lamar Jackson. He's probably more... Uh, he's probably better off working with somebody like Lamar as opposed to just a pocket passer like Joe Flacco. What do you guys think? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to go back a second because I want to talk a minute about, you said that John Harbaugh coaching for his job. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking if he is coaching for his job, he needs to go ahead and go with number one, the hot hand, number two, the first round draft pick at quarterback. We know that the GM whether it's you no know, Ozzie Newsman power or, or DeCosta is most likely going to get rid of Flacco at the end of the year. Harbaugh's best bet, I think, is to go ahead and continue to develop Lamar Jackson and go with him and tie himself to that. Because like you said, they already like him in the front office. So go ahead and go with the, the guy the front office took. 
It makes a lot of sense. It really does. So Lamar Jackson was taken at the 32nd pick in the first round. They actually traded back up with the Philadelphia Eagles just to get that pick. So it's very apparent that they've, they've liked Lamar, both the coach and the uh, people in the front office have liked Lamar. So it, it's obvious that they're trying to point him in the future of as far as the franchise quarterback. I've got two landing spots for Joe Flacco next year. I'm not sure if it's going to be by trade or by release. I personally think that the New York Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would be spots for him. Oh, interesting. Now, my I, buddy, like, uh, I like both ahead. of those, but there is a report from Ralph Fasciano out of uh, New York that uh, Eli is going to get one more year probably. And if you want to tank for Tua, that's probably your best bet. One team you didn't mention, though, that we need to keep an eye on for any quarterback is the Miami Dolphins. They can't trust Tannehill. Obviously, Brocktober is done. And they're a really decent quarterback away from being a consistent playoff team. I also want you to take this into consideration. I, I just thought about this earlier today. Take the uh, number five jersey for this particular team, rip Bortles off, and put Flacco on. Just food for thought. I can imagine. No, that. that I mean, I think we all know that Jacksonville is a quarterback away. I mean, they if they had, I think the complete and total dysfunction this year is boiled down to, I think the coaches have mismanaged the situation partially. And I think a lot of that falls on Tom Coughlin's shoulders for keeping Bortles and not even introducing competition. But I think that the defense finally just said, the hell with it. Fuck it. I'm done. You know, we're done. We're not going to do this anymore because they know the offense can't get it done. It could also be one of those things where both teams just want to get rid of the other guy. It makes sense for the Jaguars because they get a massive upgraded quarterback. It makes sense for uh, the Ravens because Blake Bortles would have one more year left before they can get rid of him for almost nothing. Why don't they just make a trade and swap straight up? Oh, don't wish that on the Ravens. Come on. Hey, Nobody should hey, have to get Blake Bortles. You eat one year of his salary as a backup quarterback. You dump him. Why not? Because then you'll get the Blake Bortles stink on you. Yeah, but he doesn't have to play. He can be your third-string quarterback. Or you can just cut him and just eat the $16.5 million in cap space. You get rid of Flacco, which is like $29 million. Why are we even talking about Blake Bortles as a quarterback? Blake Bortles can't throw the ball. He, can't, he, has, he, can, he can barely throw a five-yard out pass. He's athletic as hell. He can run the ball like crazy. That's what he's best at. Why, why even keep him at quarterback now? Go ahead and convert him over to some sort of an H-back tight end. I know it's the cliche thing to say to put him at H-back tight end, but there's got to be a spot in the field for a guy like him. I mean, you know, there's, he's, he's big, he's bulky, he can take a shot, and he can run. It's a damn shame that the Alliance of American Football had their draft this past weekend and uh, Bortles was still on a NFL team because he didn't qualify for that draft. I think he might have been actually a pretty prime candidate for uh, the Alliance of American Football or the XFL, honestly, once he gets cut at the end of the season. And you know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to take him as a backup, but I think he needs to develop somewhere. That's just my thoughts. And he has the star power for the Alliance of American Football to actually work out. That he does. He can go on and be the franchise starting quarterback of the developmental league. You never know. But um, but he's he's too much of a nice guy for the XFL. I've read that story on Sports Illustrated back in the day, how he's like this super goody, goody two-shoe kid. He's no way he could be in Mystic Man's League. Yeah, plus you would have to take a steel chair to the head, and, you know, that's... <laughs> hey, the, it, 
in all fairness, they don't do that anymore. CTE scared the crap out of them. That is true. So I, I, I think uh, McMahon has been talking XFL as being a, a more traditional uh, version of a football league, but I think at the same time they're going to try to restore some of the older uh, things that the NFL used to have, but I don't think shots to the head are going to be one of those things. I think they're, even in WWE, they're still scared of uh, having shots to the head. They they took away steel <laughs> chair shots and whatnot, so I, I think Vince McMahon's got his, his finger to the pulse as far as CT is concerned. Um, but back to uh, back to our good old friend John Harbaugh. Uh, two and zero right now under Lamar Jackson, but uh, got the Atlanta Falcons coming up this weekend. Good possibility they might lose that game just because of the offense of the Atlanta Falcons. You never know. So, um, if things start to spiral out of control, is this the last we've heard of John Harbaugh as a Baltimore Ravens coach? I don't I think, think so. Don't have Bobby Tyler. As I, say, right, I don't rock, think paper, scissors that, uh, I don't think he's done at all with with the Ravens. I think that he's had too much success there for t- too long. They drafted the first round quarterback. They're letting him already develop him somewhat this year and play him a lot. That means that they're they're not worried about him ruining him. And I think the Falcons are done. Stick a fork in them. I don't think they got anything left. I think they've mailed it in because they know they can't get anything done this year. I don't know if they've mailed it in per se. But I do think John Harbaugh's done. At a certain point, uh, I don't know how it ha- hasn't happened with Bill Belichick, but at a certain point, everybody's voice gets stale. We saw it with the Seahawks and Pete Carroll. You know, eventually, John Harbaugh's voice is going to get stale, and I think it kind of is. Uh, the offense is just kind of manila, even with Lamar Jackson. The defense has had its ups and downs the past couple years, and I think it just might be time for a change, no matter how talented of a coach John Harbaugh is. It's a good possibility that this is the end of John Harbaugh era in Baltimore. And with the note of the uh, voice going stale, so I I watched the 2012 Baltimore Ravens-America's game. I'm not sure if you guys ever watch America's game that's on NFL Network sometimes. But it was a oh, recap of the uh, 2012 season for the Baltimore Ravens when they won the Super Bowl. And Ray Lewis and Joe Flacco were both talking about how Harbaugh would just come in with these cockamania ideas and these cockamania speeches. They're just ridiculous. Like, he'll come in with a sword in one hand, a shield in the other, and then he'll just go on a tangent about, where's the wise man? Where's the... And he'll just go on... And nobody understands what he's saying, but at the end, he's like, do I have your attention now? And they're like, yeah! But I, I don't think uh, that he's got that many people's attention now. Especially people like Terrell Suggs, especially people like Eric Weddle, the the veterans of the team. It's I think it's growing stale on them. Just like when Brian Billick was in charge here, the message eventually did grow stale. So that makes a lot of sense. But a uh, question that I did want to um, ask uh, before I move on uh, from John Harbaugh. Do you guys have any more comments about John? Or any comments? No, I think we're good on that. Okay, so agreed. Uh, one more thing on the Ravens with Joe Flacco. You guys think he's really injured? Oh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Tyler. You first. I, you know, it's one thing if you want to uh, do it. Florio talks about the concussion where you can just kind of play it off by not passing the test, because if you're smart, you remember the answers that you gave for the concussion protocol test. Uh you don't fake a hip injury. Uh, those are very difficult to fake. Plus, uh, they've already done an MRI on it, but 
on him, if I'm not mistaken. It'd be, I don't think this is something that you could fake. Yeah, I agree. You can't, you can't fake the hip injury. Somebody's going to see you, you know, take a hop, skip and jump or something, or, or, you know, you, you forget that you're trying to fake it or something. I think at some point throughout the day or in practice, cause it's just natural to, to not walk with a, a limp or whatever it is. So I don't think that he would, uh, I don't think he would be faking it. And, we know you can fake the concussion test. I remember a few years ago when uh, I read that Peyton Manning and Eli and some of those elite quarterbacks at the time were sandbagging on the baseline concussion protocol test and, and manipulating them during the season so they could still play even though they were concussed. You can easily manipulate that. I don't think you could do a, a hip injury. And Joe Flacco is also playing for his next team right now. I think he, he knows that. He needs to put up some, some good stats. Now, I wasn't necessarily implying that he was faking it. I actually have a bit of a 9-11 conspiracy theory here that uh, that Joe Flacco and the Ravens might be working together on this and saying that he's injured, but really pulling the bubble wrap approach and just keeping him on the sidelines and putting him in bubble wrap and making sure he doesn't get hurt so he's ready for being traded or being released. So there's no more injury guarantee at the end of the season. Am I crazy? or uh, is that a decent conspiracy theory? What do you guys think? I don't think you're crazy, but I don't think it's a happening either. I think you could be onto something with Joe Flacco trying to protect himself and maybe milking this a little bit. I so think he legitimately is injured, but I don't think he's it's he's in on it with the Ravens. <laughs> what reaction was that? Oh, touchdown. Zeke. Yeah, sorry. Uh, just peeling back the curtain a little bit for you guys uh, that are listening to this. We're, we're watching the Dallas Cowboys and the uh, New Orleans Saints as we're recording this right now. So it's uh, middle of the first quarter, something like that. They're just actually end of the first quarter. They just scored a touchdown, Zeke Elliott. Um, oh, that was beautiful. Wow, that, that uh, extra point barely went in. That was. Nonetheless. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that Joe is necessarily faking it. And if he is, he's not faking it on his own. That's just my thought on it. Uh, Bobby, what do you think? Well, with what we've heard Florio talk about with, uh, you know, being in the know, we're all pretty avid listeners of, uh, you know, PFT or followers of that and PFT PM and, and whatnot. So he said there's a lot of animosity between the organization and Flacco because of the fact that Flacco held him over the barrel like twice when he just happened to get that great, amazing leverage and he just stuck it to him for all they had. So I don't think that he would, or the team would work with him and or vice versa because of that bad blood. Yeah, he definitely bent them over and hiked their skirts. That was, uh, he got two really big contracts out of them. He was the highest paid quarterback twice at some point. So that was a uh, real interesting approach he was able to pull off. And goodness, that first contract, I could not believe $120 million. He set the record, and he really bet on himself and won that Super Bowl that year. I was just, I was completely shocked by that. I knew we had to pay the man, but damn. When you bring a Lombardi home, that's what happens. Right, a right opportunity at the right time. Goodness, you, you couldn't have planned that any better. No, I mean, he bet on himself. I mean, you can say he held him over the barrel, but he also took all that risk, all that pressure, and put it right on top of himself and played it out. And, you know, you say bring a Lombardi, you got to pay him. I was openly saying at the time that I don't think that you should pay him because 
his overall performance has not shown it. He just got really hot, played really, really well at a great time. But we've seen that happen before, and it very rarely works out in the long run, Nick Foles. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And uh, what happened those years after with Joe Flacco? I mean, 2013 was a really bad year. Uh, he had probably his worst season that year. And then in 2015, he wasn't any better. So he had one, he's had one good year since then. He's only been in the playoffs once. And that was with Gary Kubiak as his offensive coordinator. So I think honestly, the Flacco era is done. The Harbaugh era might be done. I don't know. And this, this gimmick might be getting stale as uh, Tyler would say, but, uh, this is definitely uh, to be continued, and I, I'm going to be very interested this offseason to see what happens. And hopefully this offseason involves a playoff season for the Ravens. That's all I'm going to say. Hopefully there's a wild card spot for them. But um, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to jump around on the uh, format since we already got the Cowboys up on the screen here for us watching the game. Um, you guys want to go ahead and talk about the Cowboys resurgence for a little bit? I know Bobby does. I, I can know. always. <laughs> Bobby's always down for his Dallas Cowboys. So uh, you guys have uh, been on a three-game winning streak so far, and it looks like you're up right now 10-0 to 0 in this uh, game, and by the time this is over, who knows, it might be a 40-10 to 10 win by the Saints. But um, the the defense has really been kicking some ass lately, and uh, Zeke Elliott's really grounded and pounding, and this Amari Cooper trade. Bobby, tell me some shit about the Dallas Cowboys I don't know. What's going on, man? Well, the, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, the Mari Cooper, you've seen a whole different attitude. You're starting to see it reported and whatnot in, in different places around that. You know, he's, he's opened up. He's, you know, he's got more cockiness and more swagger and more that, you know, Dallas Cowboys kind of attitude with him. And everybody's wondering, or I've heard people wondering how it happened. Well, I've talked to people. I've got people I know still from inside the team. And apparently – uh, a few years ago, actually, Garrett and Romo went and spent a few weeks or some time with Coach K uh, of Duke to learn how to relate to athletes, how to lead athletes and relate to them on a personal level while still being a leadership level. And Garrett has taken that and brought it out with the players. He's Yeah, he's dull and, and boring as shit at the press conferences. But apparently behind closed doors, without the camera on him, without people around, he's a totally different guy, very loose and very light. And he learned a lot of that from Coach K, and he's brought that to the Cowboys, and he apparently got Amari Cooper to feel comfortable and open up and feel more like himself and feel like he can he can really express himself. What's the nickname you gave to uh, Coach Garrett the other day? Ginger McClaphands or something like that? <laughs> Ginger Clap. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so horrible. That sounds I, like an I, STD in itself. I've tried out multiple ones. I, I tried, like, the Red Clapper and Red Clap and then Ginger Clap. Like, you know, it's like – the clap because it's an std and that's kind of like how garrett is like the, you know it won't go away because <laughs> he just stays like no matter what you do because jerry loves him it's like you know jerry keeps going back to that, that same hole that keeps getting the, the clap but he, he can't get away from it you keep so hoping shoe, you get the penicillin might, but you just can't find it anywhere yeah it might be the shoe that jerry's going to i don't know but uh but yeah that's what uh yeah ginger clap because he just won't stop that fucking clapping he really does, and I didn't notice it until this year, but going back and watching all these games from years past, goodness, he he was definitely a cheerleader on the sidelines. Um, Zeke Elliott is really tearing it up down there, man. How how well is he being uh, taken in by the fan base? Oh, the fan base here in Dallas doesn't care as long as you're performing and winning. They don't give a shit. So as long as he's doing well, 
then uh, then the fan base is going to be happy and they're going to support him. Tyler, did you watch the game last week with uh, Zeke Elliott and his end zone celebration with the uh, the whole uh, what the hell is that thing the, the bucket for the charity? Oh, the Salvation Army bucket. Yeah. Let me just preface this. I love Zeke. Zeke is kind of a little bit of a tool shed, but great player. He's raised a ton of money for the Salvation Army because of his stunts after touchdowns, and he's just fun to watch. I don't got a problem with uh, the little gremlin there or the uh, Ewok as I, as he does look. Um, I think he's a pretty damn good running back, but uh, would like to see what would happen if he was put behind like Jacksonville Jaguars' uh, offensive line and see how well he would do. Just my thoughts on that. I think he's a very good product of what's uh, what he's been given. However, I will say that that offensive line is not as good as it has been in the past, especially with uh, the center being missing this year. Well, not only with Frederick being missing, which is a huge piece, and he noticed how it's gotten better over time. Obviously, Mark Colombo made a big difference, but another big difference was Zach Martin has been making those calls, most of the offensive line calls from the right guard spot. That's a lot harder to hear when you're way over there, even at left guard, which you had a rookie, Connor Williams, starting over there. So that made it a lot more difficult. Well, now that Joe Looney is starting to make more of those calls, now that he's been playing longer and being more comfortable, you're starting to see the offensive line mesh a little bit more. And obviously, Xavier Suofilo has made a big difference just because of his overall size and power, which in the Cowboys scheme, you really need a powerful mauler left guard that you've had from Ron Leary to – even Jonathan Cooper, when he was healthy last year, that more squatty, powerful guy to a, a friend of mine. Um, I just want to blank on his, his name. Montre Holland, Trey. They used to play guard for the Cowboys back in the early 2010s. Now, uh, I heard recently that uh, somebody was actually benched on an offensive line. Is that true? Benched? I don't think. Any, oh, well, Connor Williams has been injured a little bit. Uh, and not really that healthy, so they went ahead and have moved him out and left Xavier Suofilo, who was a originally like the first pick of the second round at a uh, UCLA by the Houston Texans a few years ago, and he, he bashed onto a couple teams, and he seems to really fit here. We'll see overall if the enough two games of films enough for some of these teams to kind of figure him out. Um, certainly hoping that they uh, keep their gel going on. They they definitely seem to have things going their way, and uh, the ground and pound is going really well as far as the run game. Now, the creativity on the passing game, on the other hand, is a different story. Yeah, there's not a lot of creativity in the Cowboys' offense at all, and there really hasn't been. I think that hurts Dak a lot because he doesn't have the – arm talent at this point in his career in his life he doesn't have the arm talent to run that Matt Stafford offense kind of that Scott Linehan brought with him from Detroit when he brought it down here for Tony Romo when he could throw it around all over the place made the good adjustment in 2016 and then he went back to his old habits and you know here we are yeah it's it's certainly uh definitely not coloring outside the lines or anything like that I'm not certain that uh, Scott Linehan's going to have a job next year. What do you think? He better not have a job. He shouldn't have a job already. I would have gotten rid of him a long time ago. I would have gone back to the ginger clap to have him call plays. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I think Scott Linehan was a decent offensive line coach. What do you think about that? 
then go put him on the offensive line because he sure as hell can't call plays. And I hate the fact that he sits up in the booth. He sits up in the booth where he can see everything. He can see the whole field really, really well. And yet he still doesn't get back up to the line quickly and, and talk in his helmet and tell him what coverages are coming or anything like that. I don't know what the hell he does up there besides, you know, play with his dick. In in fairness, uh, well, he might be doing that in fairness. Um, in fairness to the people that are up in the booth, they actually don't talk directly to the quarterbacks in their helmets. They have to go through an intermediary on the sidelines, which is typically your wide receivers coach. Uh, I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but I found that out a couple years ago when uh, we had our offensive coordinator up in the booth. And I'm like, what the hell is taking so long? And then I realized what was going on. I'm like, man, that, that sucks. So I think eventually the offensive coordinators need to get out of the booth and be on the sidelines to be able to tell everything. I mean, I, I understand the perspective of having the field view, but at the same time, you need to be the guy making the call and you need to make it in a timely fashion. But uh, nonetheless, um, definitely not a fan of where they're going with uh, the offensive creativity. Uh, there's a good possibility that the Cowboys, though, are going to make the playoffs if they keep going where they're going. I don't think the Redskins have got anything left in the tank, especially after losing their quarterback. But... uh the Cowboys could definitely make a run for this. I don't. I think the Eagles have uh, landed and not gotten their playoff spot. I don't think they're going to even have a chance to defend their title. Um, Tyler, wh- where are you at uh, with the NFC East? Who do you think is going to win this year? Honestly, I still wouldn't count the Redskins out. That defense is pretty good. Colt McCoy is really that not that much of a downgrade from Alex Smith. And once they kind of settle into their groove. And if they really focus on the running game, they get healthier on the offensive line, establish Adrian Peterson. They still have an outside shot. They still have the Eagles uh, once on week 17. They still get the Giants once. It's not out of the question that they could win it. But honestly, the winner of that division is going nine and seven. I don't I don't really see any other way behind it. They're going to beat each other up. No team in that division is really, really good. Uh, Cowboys are probably the best of the bunch, but the Eagles have the rings from last year, even though they have their top five defensive backs hurt right now. Uh, if I had to pick right now, I'd go Cowboys, but so much can change over the next five weeks. It's true. I mean, your offensive coordinator could uh, shit the bed. Your quarterback could get injured. A lot of shit could happen in the next couple of weeks. That's, that's very true. And with the 9-7 and seven talk, I have a, uh, another topic that I, I want to quickly glaze over and see what you guys think about this. What do you guys think about the way that the playoffs are set up right now as far as the home field advantage for a division winner? Do you guys like that, or do you hate the fact that some of the people that are in the wild card have better records than the uh, division winners? Personally, I like it. I think you should have to uh, be able to earn that playoff spot. However... I think after the first round, they should reseed. And once you get to the like championship game, if you have like a four seed versus a five seed, if, or sorry, like a three, three versus a four or three versus a five in the title game, best record should have home field. That's not a bad thought. It's really not. Um, I'm personally not against what we got going on right now uh, with the NFL, but um it's not my fault that your division is harder than a shittier division. You know, I'm, I went and won in my 
division with seven nine record like the Seattle Seahawks did back in twenty eleven. So that's not my fault that my division sucks. I'm just the best of the shit, you know. But uh, I kind of like that idea. Um, <laughs> Bobby, you got something going over there, or uh, everything okay? Yeah, I don't think that you should get home field advantage just because you won your division. I mean, yeah, I know division games are tougher, uh, blah, blah, blah. You should get something for winning it, blah, blah, blah. No, you shouldn't get something for winning it, winning it. If you're a shitty team, if you're, you know, if you're a crap team and you haven't won anybody else, you haven't beat anybody else and other people in your conference have a better record than you have a better conference record than you have the tiebreakers over you, but you just won because you're in a division with the Cardinals, the Niners, you know, whatever, then then no. And I'm not this year, it doesn't work as well, but with uh, uh, you know the Rams and stuff, but still, it's no, I don't think you should get that just because you win your division. Would you guys be in favor of realigning the divisions, possibly moving some guys between AFC, NFC, moving guys between divisions, and... Uh just realigning in general, would you guys be in favor of that? Absolutely not. Uh, Obviously some divisions don't have super long established rivalries, but if you look at the NFC East, who are you taking out of that division? You're going to rob us of a really good rivalry game twice a year. If, if not more than one, I mean, just look at the Cowboys. Uh, Bobby can attest to this great rivalries with the giants, Eagles and Redskins. Do you really want to rob us of uh, two games against one of those teams every year. I uh, personally don't give a shit, but that's just me. Go! <laughs> <laughs> but plus, it, if you really look at it, uh, they're aligned pretty well geographically. Uh, the only one that's not the greatest is the uh, uh, AFC West because Kansas City's in, in that division, and then they got to go all the way out to Oakland and L.A. Like, Other than that, it's pretty good. Well, I mean, Dallas in the NFC East doesn't really make too much sense to me, but it's kind of the uh, the one wild card, I guess. I mean, personally, I would think that uh, Dallas could probably go to, like, the NFC West or the <laughs> NFC South, and then you could switch the Buccaneers out, but that's just my thought. Well, yeah, but you've got to remember this, though. There, It was the Cardinals were in the division with the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Redskins and – uh, the Giants back in the day before they moved them out. So that's kind of why, and part of that reason was because of the rivalries already established between the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Giants and the Redskins. Like as a Cowboys fan myself, the, you know, who, what team do you hate the most? It either depends on your era or it depends on, you know, what era you're in right now. I've been a Cowboys fan since I was a long or since I was a kid and I probably think of the Eagles as the worst rival just because of the, the fan base with throwing the batteries and snowballs and blah, 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 booing Michael Irvin when he got paralyzed on the field and all that. But I can tell you that there's multiple four- or five-year periods where I'll tell you that the Washington or the, uh, the uh, Giants are the, the biggest rival of the time. It goes back and forth. I can understand where you're coming from because I don't know what would happen if the Ravens left the NFC North and didn't have their division rivalry with the Pittsburgh Steelers every year. I mean, hell, even if you're not a fan of the Ravens or the Steelers, that's one hell of a game that you got to watch every year. So that, the Bears and the uh, Green Bay Packers, I couldn't imagine taking either of those guys out of their division. 
uh, just some things would need to stay in effect for sure. I mean, I can understand, like, the Seahawks don't really have a division rival, so if you wanted to relocate them into another division, I can understand that, but you would need to have some consistency and definitely need to take the scheduling into consideration. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic here. Um, earlier we had talked about uh, Mike McCarthy briefly, so you guys want to talk about uh, Green Bay and how far they've fallen from grace? That's my favorite topic. Yeah, that's green your topic. Uh, green, yeah. The Bay of Pigs. So uh, this was actually Tyler's idea. He brought this to the table in our little uh, email chain. So uh, Green Bay has definitely fallen far from grace. Mike McCarthy is currently the head coach there. I say the currently because seemingly at the end of the year, he doesn't have a job, at least in my view, unless the, uh, the owners, quote-unquote, decide that he gets another year, which I don't know anybody that would sign on for that uh run game has been uh coming to life lately but it's too little too late jimmy graham was the big signing of the offseason been very ineffective what are you guys thinking about the green bay packers what the hell is going on there and what should aaron Rodgers do in this situation something that most people don't realize a lot of this is aaron's fault aaron has uh, shown that he's not the best teammate uh he he doesn't he does a lot of good things for the Packers, but he's not exactly been accurate this year. You see some of those throws against the Vikings. His uh, his form is terrible. He's uh, throwing screens at people's feet. He missed a wide open Devontae Adams in the end zone by about three yards. Uh, Aaron's not helping himself. Obviously, Mike McCarthy's a, to blame for a lot of this. His play calling is uh, uh uncreative they run like the same 10 pass plays just different variations of them and he's his like we talked about earlier with harbaugh his message has gotten stale and we see all these uh creative thinkers out there sean payton's been one for 15 years uh sean McVay. apparently all you need to do is be named sean and you're creative but no they, joke uh andy reed has taken his West Coast offense and made it extremely flexible spread concepts. These guys are doing what they can to make their team better, to emphasize their quarterback strengths, and to fool defenses. You go against the Green Bay team, all you're going to have to do is, hey, if we can pressure and contain Aaron Rodgers in the pocket, we're going to be okay, which is what the Vikings have been able to do for most of the past four seasons. And if Aaron Rodgers gets paired with anybody creative and they get along and Aaron doesn't show those uh, that jackass tendencies that he has over the past couple of years, then the Packers become an instantly scary team until then. I hope Mike McCarthy stays the coach because they haven't won a road game in the last eight. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has looked poor against really good defenses. And as a Vikings fan, I love to see it. It's it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, I could uh, I can imagine you getting along with that idea just fine of Mike McCarthy signing a five year so extension. What? All right, so uh, right now in the game there was a uh, pretty decent tackle there. Um, so by Jalen, but yeah, on Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy should have been gone a while ago. He's been living on borrowed time forever. And 
I do think some of it goes on Aaron Rodgers a little bit, but I also think that Aaron Rodgers has made the best of what he's been given. And with uh, Brian Gutenkust, whatever his name is, a new GM that started obviously making major organizational changes on what they're doing. Oh, yeah, we just, oh, yes. Uh, Once again, that the game's those on, organi- ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we just made a stop on, on fourth and goal at the goal line. And Suck uh, it, but, Saints. Yeah, with Gutenkust so making those major changes now, going after free agents and whatnot, I think he's going to go in and get his new coach. He doesn't want to have these new shiny toys that McCarthy can't use or, or can't take advantage of. And one of those shiny toys is Aaron Rodgers, who just signed, what, $33 million a year, whatever the hell it is that he signed for this offseason or early this season. And they have made it apparent that they're going to be very heavy into the free agency pocket here. So they're going to be definitely signing people if they can. They got some decent amount of uh, cap room that they can wiggle around a little bit. But they made it apparent in a conference call earlier this year that they're going to be uh, heavy spenders when it comes time for free agency. So that's definitely anti what Green Bay has stood for for the past couple seasons. And I'm not sure if uh, Mike McCarthy is going to be able to keep up with that, to be honest with you, just because of his offensive scheme. I mean, even if you bring in like an Amari Cooper or if you bring in a great wide receiver, screen passes are not going to be everything. And uh, unless somebody goes down the field a little bit, his West coast offense is uh, obsolete in my view. Well, Tyler, as a Vikings fan, I think you should be afraid because I think next year you're going to have a motivated Aaron Rodgers after he kind of mailed it in somewhat this year, probably not nearly as motivated because he just can't stand McCarthy and what's going on anymore. And I think you're going to get a new smart coach, a re-motivated Rodgers, and you better watch out for your Vikings. Oh, I don't doubt it. As a general football fan and the guy who loves the game, I hope McCarthy gets fired, and I hope some offensive genius goes in there. A lot of people are talking Cliffs Kingsbury, but he runs the Mike Leach like uh, dunking, like dip, dip and dunk pass system. It's it's not really a downfield spread, which is what Aaron Rodgers really should be running. If there's a guy like McVay that get, goes to Green Bay, I'm going to want to watch every Packer game, but I'm going to be a little worried. We have Mike Zimmer. He is a very, very good defensive mind. But being able to watch Rodgers with a, an elite offensive play caller, that just excites me. That's, that'll be just a blast to watch. I'm personally a huge fan of Aaron Rodgers. I think he is the best quarterback in the NFL right now, and I would love to see him with a great offensive-minded coach because, honestly, he's making chicken salad out of chicken shit right now with whatever he possibly can. I understand what you're saying, Tyler, with the uh, the bad attitude and whatnot, but he's doing what he can on the field, and uh, the calls aren't helping, but he's he's making magic with whatever he possibly can. I think the biggest problem or the biggest goal for the next coach is going to be motivating Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers could care less. If you ever watch what he does, he doesn't on the bench. He just sits over there by himself. He doesn't pay attention. Doesn't go look at, you know, printouts or the, the Microsoft surface iPad thing they have. He just goes and sits over there because we all know, and Sim says it all the time, we all follow PFT that, you know, it's a very elementary offense. That's super predictable. Because of that, Aaron has gotten by so long in his career based on, on just that pure talent and his 
his own knowledge of the offense, he's going to have to be energized and motivated, or you'll see like a Matthew Stafford we're seeing in, in Detroit this year. Yeah, I think Matthew Stafford has been less than motivated in my view. I mean, he has been getting more of a run game for the first time ever. So um, that running back that they got, uh, somebody refresh me on his name. They just carry on Johnson. Yes. He's been a hell of a running back this season and actually had more than 100 yard game. And they haven't had a hundred yard game in Detroit in forever. So I can understand why they, Matt Stafford's just leaning back a little bit and not necessarily going wild, wild west with his approach at uh, elementary school style football that he used to do. Just uh, chuck it up to whoever he could. And I think a lot of that has to do with what Matt Patricia is trying to bring to the team. It's not a wild, wild west anymore. He wants it structured. And I think the fact that Patricia's come in here and he's trying to change that culture, I think it's wearing on Matthew Stafford because he is that gunslinger. I'm just going to do whatever I want and I'm going to make it work. And he's trying to change that. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we're seeing Stafford struggles. Plus, Jim Bob Cooter can't call a game to save his life. That doesn't help either. Yeah, not anymore. He used to be able to call a good game a couple years ago when he was still in charge of the team. Uh, when he was first put in as OC, everybody first off knew his name just because of the goddamn name of Jim Bob Cooter. So that's one hell of a name to know. But he actually drew up way better plays than the offensive coordinator before him. I don't know what's going on with him this season. Maybe he was asked to turn things around and uh, he's unable to do it. So... In, I don't know what's going on in Detroit as far as the play calling is there. He's definitely had better days, Jim Bob Cooter, that is. It's that generation of NFL coaches. I think that Jim Bob Cooter, I think that Ginger Clap and those guys, Mike you McCarthy. You guys just love saying Jim Bob Cooter. Let's guys get that, that out of the once way. they get successful, they refuse to change what they're doing, and they just absolutely just stick with it. Look at the Sean Payton. We hear about him. He loves to steal from every other offense. He, he has never met a play or a playbook that he doesn't want to steal from. Sean McVay innovating you know, on the fly. Andy Reid constantly innovating. But these guys that get successful by going, oh, I made it doing this. I'm not going to change a, a fucking thing. I'm going to do wear the same blue shirt with the same star up there. And every day I go to my press conference and go, how are we doing, boys? You know, How are we doing, guys? And say the same thing every single day because it got them there and they don't want to change it. But nowadays in today's NFL, in today's coaching world, you've got society in general, you've got to be constantly evolving and adapting. Definitely. And I think one of the bigger uh, coaches that has done that over the past couple seasons has been Andy Reid, in my view. I mean, you've seen Andy Reid develop his West Coast offense from the dink and dunk approach to a down-the-field type of West Coast offense, which is it juxtaposes the thought of West coast. West coast is either check down or touchdown, but um, he's definitely with Patrick Mahomes able to go bombs away Bobby with it. And it's, it's very surprising that he's able to do that. And a lot of coaches are able to adapt nowadays. And some of them just aren't look at Hugh Jackson. He's not able to adapt and he's uh, he's out on his ass. Well, not, not anymore. He's with uh, Cincinnati and that's uh Ooh, that's another can of worms, but um, yeah, certain coaches just, can't adapt and some can I'm not sure where Mike McCarthy is with that either to be honest with you well I think we've seen from the past few years in his uh, very vanilla offense he is unwilling to adapt 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the if you look at Madden for the past couple seasons, there really hasn't been a wrinkle or anything changed in his playbook because those people that are creating Madden look at his plays and they can tell there's no difference. It's the same damn plays over and over again. You just have Aaron Rodgers there to pull a rabbit out of his ass. Yeah, but there's here's... the reason why he made the stop fade famous. <laughs> you know, True. here's the thing, though. What I want to know is why do these guys who are at the – absolute top of their profession, the absolute top of their industry or whatever, why are they so unwilling to change? Why do they, why do they get like this? What makes them when they see everything around them getting better and changing and everybody surpassing them, why are they so stubborn and why do they so stubbornly stick to it? You know, that's a good question. And I think that honestly can bring us and tie us into our next topic here. Jacksonville Jaguars are a hot mess right now. And uh, one of the reasons why is because they stuck to their guns and they're not changing anything. Nothing has really changed from this past offseason except for the left guard that they signed. So, um, yeah, I could definitely see how this is its tying in for sure. Um, the coach wasn't willing to change the quarterback. They weren't willing to change any other real position there. They stuck with what they had. What do you guys think about that? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the main thing that all these coaches go by because why would you change something that's been successful? I feel like a lot of these guys, they have to have a certain amount of uh, time that isn't successful in order to justify them changing anything. Now, if you look at the Green Bay Packers, you can blame a lot of different things. Oh, the only years we haven't made the playoffs the past couple, Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Aaron Rodgers can take us anywhere. Why would we change anything? You know, we haven't exactly heard a lot of Aaron Rodgers clamoring uh, for more creativity in the offense. Uh, there's a lot of different variables behind that, but you get a guy like Andy Reed, he gets fired from uh, Philly where he was uh, consistently taking bad quarterbacks and making them successful. And he realized that his offense was getting a little stale. He started adapting to his players and then he gets a, a gift with Patrick Mahomes and all of a sudden, he's running his entire offense while making it uh, uh, a true spread and letting Patrick Mahomes do all the things that he does very well. But why in Jacksonville didn't they change a damn thing this past offseason? Because they were one play away from making the Super Bowl. And why would you change something that was one play away from making the Super Bowl? Because you should have looked and seen how many times you you got lucky or caught a break or just, you know, happened, uh, you know, wind blew out of the north and you won because of that. In spite of your quarterback, you should have at least brought in some kind of competition. That was a problem. They knew they had. Oh, 100%, Bobby. But Shit. at the same time, I just. It's one of those things where this is I, this is how they were thinking. They should have brought in a Teddy Bridgewater. They shouldn't have re-signed Blake Bortles. But Blake Bortles is doing what Eli Manning, I feel, is about to do. He did just enough to show, hey, you shouldn't get rid of me. I took you here. Eli Manning's probably going to end up with a, like a 6-10 and 10 or a 7-9 and nine season when they started, what, 1-6? and five, six? And he's going to show, hey, I still have enough left in the tank for one more year. Let's give it one more year. Yeah, and Eli, that little glimmer of hope. Uh, no, and Eli Manning sits there and gets all that garbage time stats where 
you know, it was like, oh, his his apologists are like saying, oh, well, you know, you saw where he threw for 279 yards and a, and two touchdowns and a pick. Well, yeah, but look at the first half when the Giants were somewhat in the game. He was ineffective as hell. He got all those stats in the two or three garbage drives when the the de- opposing defense was in and the uh in the freaking prevent defense and he sat there and dinked and dunked for yards over and over again or all saquon barkley screens so you know eli manning is a joke and if they even keep him for another year i'm gonna continue to love it because they're wasting everything else they've got there look at obj even fighting back now and they're gonna waste saquon barkley good i hope they do it but yeah you can't summarize i could summarize the whole situation with jacksonville with the joe flacco effect just bringing this full circle back around you're doing what you can and you're doing an amazing thing at the right time and the right opportunity. And that's why Blake Bortles was given the contract this past off season, because he was able to get them to the AFC championship, not necessarily him, but he was able to get the team there. The team was able to bring him there, to be honest with you. So he cashed in on a good opportunity to stick around and become the uh, starting quarterback for one more season, just because he was in the right spot at the right time. And I got a feeling Eli Manning is in the same spot as well. I think Blake Bortles was re-signed to the contract he was because Shot Khan thought he was buying Wembley Stadium, where the hell it was, over in England. And so he had himself pretty well leveraged and needed to have a decent quarterback and to keep the buzz about his team well. So he signed Blake Bortles to a super, super team from the contract while his self was his assets were leveraged overseas for that. That's just my conspiracy theory because we all know the NFL owners, they care about winning, but they care about profits more than anything else. That's true. Yeah, that was a super duper team friendly contract, but I'm not sure he would have made anything else higher than that, to be honest with you, if you were to sign anywhere else. That's no, if you if you had signed anywhere else, uh, I don't think anybody's giving him a bunch of money, especially with what the quarterback market was. I mean, you had Sam Bradford, who, who if he has healthy knees, is easily worth twenty million dollars, but he doesn't, so he basically sold twenty million. Teddy Bridgewater. He's healthy now. He deserves more money than Blake Bortles for just what he's done in his career. You have Case Keenum. He got $18 million for leading the Vikings to the NFC Championship game. And he looked good throughout the season. Kirk Cousins got $28 million. Like, Drew Brees was even on the market. Like, Bortles would have gotten the shaft. He would have ended up like A.J. McCarron, who settled for two years, $6.5 million in Buffalo. Now, back to the Drew Brees thing, you know, Florio's been banging this drum for a while. I personally don't think that Drew Brees would have left New Orleans for uh, the kind of money that he was talking about. But um, that's that's just my thought. I think that he was destined to stay with the New Orleans Saints, and I don't think anybody was going to make any offer to him at all just because they already knew that he was trying to stay with the New Orleans Saints. Brees is the... Oh, Breeze is the king of that city, <clears throat> and from what I understand, from you know Dallas uh, being fairly close to Louisiana, my parents live on the border of Louisiana, on a, on a lake down there. So you know I get the news and stuff from down there. And Breeze has political aspirations, from what I understand, in Louisiana. So I'm pretty sure he was never going to leave, which is why Florida was the only one banging that drum because it should have happened, but it didn't because Breeze was not interested either. Yeah, at the same, team at the same well. time, think about this. If somebody offers him $40 million and he's got four kids that he, I know he wants to set them up for the rest of their lives, 
that's hard to turn down at the age of 39, even with all those aspirations. It would have been interesting to see if there was actually an offer submitted to him. You know, it, yeah. good. Oh, no, I say, you know, if he has political aspirations, though, especially in a state as uh, as corrupt as Louisiana, he'll make a heck of a lot more than he would as quarterback. And he's already made enough money with the first two contracts he got from the Saints, sixty million, and then the second one, and the last little one or two year deal he just signed. He's already made enough money to set all his kids up. Yeah, he definitely took them to the bank and uh, cashed quite a few checks out of the uh, the Saints. I was the guy was franchise tagged twice. He was almost franchise tagged the third time, but uh, I could imagine that he's not hurting for money right now. So whatever he wants to do after this is just gravy. He's going to be the kind of guy that basically just chooses what he wants to do, does it, and does it really well, and has fun. Whatever he chooses to do. Kind of like Peyton Manning. Exactly yep. like Peyton Manning. I was going to say, I could see Peyton Manning deciding what he wants to do. And then, you know, assuming Drew Brees is going to be, I don't know, what, five, six, seven years behind Peyton Manning in life in general, just because of when Peyton retired versus when Brees is going to retire, that I could see Brees deciding to go, you know what, Peyton, you kicked my ass in most of my football career because of whatever. So, in terms of just attention and everything else, I'm going to go ahead and kick your ass in this after football career, and both of them are going to be successful regardless of what they do. Makes a lot of sense. It really does, and goodness, that was a good Super Bowl matchup, Breeze versus uh, Manning. That was that was a good good one. That onside kick, I'll never forget that. I can tell you that much. That's why I can't wait for Sean Payton to be the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Um... Do you need help waking up, or uh, do you just want to stay in that dream? Just wait. <laughs> Peyton, Peyton's got family. His kids are here. Ex-wife is here. He wants to be involved with his son's high school team. He loves the Cowboys. He has a thing for Jerry Jones, and Jerry Jones is a hard-on for Sean Payton. I could very well see it happening. With Drew Brees retiring, maybe, uh, especially if, well, Jerry doesn't have a first-round pick to give up anymore, man. But here's the thing. Look at how well the Saints are stacked. They've got potentially Teddy Bridgewater, who looks, or we don't know if he looks, has been sounding more and more like a franchise quarterback. And even Taysom Hill, who's looking more and more like an all-around athlete, but they have high hopes for him potentially, too. And Tyler, you know more about Teddy than we do, or I do for sure. So you're talking yourself out of Sean Payton coming to Dallas then, because I was sitting there thinking there's a possibility that Dallas might be able to trade for him. But if Sean Payton don't want to go nowhere, then why would he go anywhere? Well, no, that's the thing. Sean Payton has got the cupboard stacked in New Orleans so he can get out of there cheaper and go to Dallas. That uh, that sounds silly. I think they would still want something in return. I mean, maybe even a second they round will. pick, two second round picks or something like that. They'll get something, and you can trade picks up to three years out. They'll get something, but Drew Brees will retire, and I think that Sean Payton might go ahead and move on when Drew Brees retires and say, look, Benson family, go ahead and let me out cheap to Dallas because – You've already got your next franchise quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater or Taysom Hill, and the other one's trade bait. So you're already set. So you can go ahead and let me out for a little cheaper. I brought you a Super Bowl. I made your franchise relevant again. 
Well, that and the ownership is a little in flux right now in New Orleans. So I don't know what the relationship is like in the front office right now between those two. I, exactly. You never know. You might be talking me into the conspiracy theory here. Let me put my tinfoil hat on for a minute. I can understand that. All right. Uh, I got two more topics on this list I want to cover. But uh, any more on this conspiracy theory or the Jacksonville Jaguar? Oh, wait. I want to talk more about the Jacksonville Jaguars, actually. Does Doug Marone have a job after the season? Anybody? I think he's no. Well, I'm not sure. Are you still there, Tyler? I don't know what happened to Tyler. He'll uh... we we might have lost Tyler there for a moment, but no, I think I think Marone has to be done. He, I mean, look what happened this season. Whether or not you have a horrible quarterback or not, the fact that you didn't do anything else to to keep that team together and to keep that that defense rolling, then you've you've got to be done and i'm not even sure if tom coughlin deserves to be there anymore well honestly it's it's one season removed from the afc championship game so you i think he might have bought himself a year that's just my thoughts on it no is it one season removed from an afc championship game or is it one afc championship game out of 25 years of a franchise anomaly type thing i think they've had one other one with brunel back in the day but exaggerating you get the point They've been mediocre, irrelevant. They've been Dallas Cowboys for the most part without the buzz for the last 26 years, and they just got lucky one year. Well, that makes a lot of sense, but um, at the same time, you, you still have a taste of something that you hadn't had in a while, and I think Shai Khan might have a little sweet spot in his heart for somebody that gave him that little taste. So that's it's my thought on it. Um, I don't think you're going to get – maybe one of them goes. Maybe the general manager goes at the end of the year for signing that dumbass Blake Bortles contract. I don't know. Just I don't know. I've wanted to know – You know, we've talked a little about Washington. I've wanted to know what the relationship is between Bortles and, and ownership because that isn't – I know Coughlin came out and defended the, the signing of Bortles. But that doesn't seem like a Coughlin move. I don't. I don't know why that doesn't. It, it, something doesn't feel right there. And Doug Marone is highly respected in NFL circles. It seems from you know even Buffalo and all that kind of stuff, Syracuse. But I don't see why he really hasn't done much. He, you know, didn't do well his two seasons at Buffalo. Then took his opportunity when ownership left and and bailed on that one and took a couple years off or a year off and. Then, came to Jacksonville and he's an offensive guy and wrote a defense to a, um, <clears throat> to an AFC championship game and hadn't done anything else. Why do we, why does everybody give him the, the leniency? I don't know. I can't exactly attest to that, but I could tell you one thing that I did notice with Doug Marone back in the day when he first took the role as the head coach, when the former uh, coach was released mid season and Doug Marone took over, I noticed how the team gravitated around him, and the team did much better, and they actually, they didn't win out, but they won a lot of games with him, a couple of games at least. But um, the team did a lot better under Marone coaching for some reason, so he's got to have something there. He's got the it factor, the intangible it factor, and I'm not sure what else is going on behind the scenes, but I know for a fact that that team did much better without uh, with with him as a head coach than they did the guy before. But look at this amazing run game they had last year. Number one run game. And then 
without a doubt, the most talented defense in the league. And, and they had all of that, and yet he isn't able to keep that team together. And yeah, he didn't well, change. Well, he kept it together. That might be the problem. He, he kept the whole thing together. Well, he didn't change ex- anything. Exactly. He got that damn ginger clap. He must have caught that at the coaching symposium this year. <laughs> he probably had either slept next to Garrett's room or ate breakfast with him. I'm telling you, that shit's contagious. Yeah, it's something in the water there. It must be. The Mike McCarthy syndrome, the, the ginger clapper. Yeah. Goodness. Um, what do you think about uh, why they're keeping Doug Marone, Tyler? Damn it, Tyler. You there? Still not back? No. It seems like he's uh, – maybe he muted his microphone or something like that. But uh, – uh, regardless, you and I can continue. And uh, Tyler, if you get your microphone figured out, just jump in at any time and just let us know. Um, regardless, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic. We'll talk about uh, mm-hmm. the the topic you wanted to talk about. Um, Eric Reed. So this guy has uh, had more drug tests in the past month or so than uh, he's claiming other people have. So they seem less random than other players. And uh, Eric has a big problem with that. What do you think about that? Okay, so I I know again we all follow PFT closely and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I primarily do the PFT PM Posse Twitter handle. I know that Florio has railed against ten foil hat conspiracy, and you've got to be crazy if you think something's happening is being manipulated. But I think you've kind of got to go back and and, and look in, in the past. Now that I did some research on this, I spent some time trying to figure out how because I do software for, for a living. I do, uh, you know, I'm, I'm involved in that kind of stuff. So I went and tried to find, I couldn't find any information <clears throat> on how they actually do it when they choose the people. But we know that Eric Reed said something about, you know, statistics, it's like a 1% or less than 1% chance, which of course that can happen. However, look at the past. James Harrison talked about getting pinged a lot for, uh, you know, random quote unquote drug test during the season. Chad Ochocinco did the same thing. Uh, there's been a few others I'm going blank on right now that had the same thing that said, Oh, wow, well, you know, you get in in Commissioner Goodell or you get in somebody's, uh, you know, you get in their lane and all of a sudden you're getting popped. Now, then, why are they not, you know, oh, it's so easy to pop to, to get him tested or chosen. How come, why would they just make him a fake positive test? Well, that's because I did look this up, and in the actual NFL, NFL, PA uh, drug thing, because if you get a positive sample on the A sample, then the B sample you can, and for any further follow-up test, the player can uh, request or uh, demand an independent toxicologist be there that he pays for, not he pays for, he decides who it is, to show up. So it's a lot harder to spike that drug test. Now, how easy is it to manipulate the drug system? <clears throat> we saw Von Miller do it successfully for years and other Denver players, whoever it was, when they just manipulated the one person that was coming to collect the samples. So I'm pretty sure if Von Miller and the Broncos could manipulate the, the collector person, I'm pretty sure that these multi-billionaire, super fucking powerful NFL owners could pretty easily or pretty simply you know, get somebody to, hey, make sure that that guy... being followed or digital trail 
it's probably not that high tech. We know the NFL is not that high tech with most of the shit they do anyways. This is probably not that. And from what I could tell in the policy, it almost looks like the NFL and the NFL PAs, they have a, a medical director and a something else director at the top of the program. It almost looks like looks like their office contracts out to almost like 32 different drug testing facilities to do the testing for each team because it's all a regional or an area thing. So, again, yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but Von Miller and those guys did it before. I don't think it'd be that hard for the NFL to do it in the reverse way and hope that he gets a false positive. Or as we've seen with so many other players, they were eating food in Mexico, Dwayne Brown, and tested positive, or just had a tainted supplement that the NFL even knew about, Star Caps. So I'll step off my soapbox. Understood, man. Um, Tyler, what do you think about that? You back on the line yet? All right. Can you hear me now? Yes. All right. Beautiful. I don't know what the heck's going on with my mic. I might just throw it out my window. You just bought the uh, damn thing on sale. I know. That's that's the crazy part. Uh, honestly, the whole Eric Reed thing, it feels like he's being targeted, but the NFL is just not smart enough. They, uh, he already has one collusion grievance against him. I guarantee you all he's got to do is mention this when it comes to court and they're going to look into it. The NFL may be shady with how they deal with things like deflate gate. They may, uh, single guys out and attack them like they did with Zeke, but this is on a whole different level where they can't circumvent uh, back with like NFL rules. This is, this is like a lot of union stuff. There's uh, already one collusion grievance. They don't want to collude again. Uh, honestly, with what Bobby's saying, it makes a lot of sense. There have been guys who have brought this up in the past, but I don't think that they're smart enough to be able to do this without getting caught. And I don't think they're doing it for that reason. So you think it would actually take some thought to actually do this, and you don't think the NFL is capable of putting the thought into it? I think they're capable of putting the thought into it. I don't think they're capable of actually executing it well enough to make it work. Okay, that, that's well, what I was getting at. But y'all seem to be forgetting, and we don't know all the details because the NFL and the NFLPA wisely settled the concussion lawsuit. Look how well they hid that collusion between the NFL and the NFLPA to hide the data for the concussions. We've also seen the NFL, while as much as we all know, they so clumsily did Bounty Gate, Spy Gate, all the other bullshit gates they've had, Deflate Gates, Zeke Gate, whatever. They've clumsily done it. <clears throat> they've been able to drive that narrative enough that the majority of the public opinion, the majority of the people that don't really pay that close attention or just follow it casually – end up believing what the NFL says, that, oh, the Saints players and Sean Payton were guilty, that, oh, Tom Brady was, you know, guilty of deflating balls and all that kind of stuff. So they are able to do that, and it doesn't take a whole lot of effort by them or a whole lot of coordination. It's just a, a massive, you know, put in the PR effort. Yeah, that, uh, it's such a it, – I don't see the NFL doing it personally. It's just they have enough on their plate right now with this collusion case with Colin Kaepernick. They have the uh, collusion case with Eric Reed to handle. I think it would be very dumb if they were to do this. Uh, I know they're looking for any which way. For the most part, the, the actual league office is looking for ways to keep these guys who are uh, doing the kneeling in the national anthem out of the NFL at this point. But I don't think they're that dumb to uh, do it this way. I think they're looking for other ways to do it. That's just my thoughts on it. I'm not sure if you... 
guys agree on that, but uh, I, I don't see them being that dumb, basically. You see, I don't think they care about keeping the guy, the, the guys that knelt the national or that took a knee to the national anthem. I don't think they could. I think they could give or they couldn't care less about it. I think that these guys only care because they feel like somebody that's less than them got one over on them, and these guys can't stand to take a loss. And that's the reason why they're targeting a Kaepernick or, or even if they are doing something or somebody's doing something against Reed, it's only because those guys dealt a blow to their ego, nothing else. You got a good point there, and that makes a lot of sense. Your rebuttal, Tyler? No, I kind of agree with what Bobby is saying. It uh, it all it all makes sense to me. So you guys don't think that uh, there's any collusion right now with the uh, randomization of this or quote unquote randomization of the drug tests? You guys think it's it's pretty just on par at this point? I don't think there is right, and I think there's the potential. For it to be there, I can see the way it could be done because we saw Von Miller manipulate it in one way. But until I see something more, more proof or whatever, then I, I'm not going to believe it yet. Yeah, I think with um, the collection of the samples, the only time I remember people complaining was was obviously uh, Von Miller, uh, James Harrison. And then there was one game Pat McAfee had a really long punt or really long field goal, if I remember. And the next day he was asked to do a random drug sample. So uh, that was good timing, uh, to say the least. But um, nobody's ever really complained about the randomization of the drug tests, at least those who have uh, passed the test. I know I remember Chad Ochocinco when he was right around the time within a year or two of James Harrison, he was also pinged a bunch of times because he was posting the videos of the drug collector showing up at his house and stuff while he was playing video games and, and whatnot down in Miami or whatever it's at. And he was posting them online. You know, I, for some reason, I don't remember that one. Um, wow. I, I would think that with uh, Chad Ochoacinco being as popular as it was, I, I would remember that one. That's very odd for me not to remember that. That was one of those things that was the early days of social media, too. Yeah, I think that's the early times of the Facebook, um, maybe even the MySpace days. Wow, you just went to MySpace? Dude, oh, you, good old MySpace. You know I had three MySpaces? <laughs> I had three MySpaces just so I could be number one and two on my top friends list. <laughs> did, did you have sparkling backgrounds and special music that played when you went to your page too oh man i had the degeneration x theme song playing on my page it was so awesome so everybody who went to your page you told them to suck it that's beautiful indeed yeah. that's what i did every time and you had that the cool little quote next to your name and it told you how old you were and what city you're from and you had to come up with something original for that quote too God, we were so much younger. Sounds like the days of AOL and dial-up. Oh, man, I, I remember getting on AOL Instant Messenger while being on MySpace. Man, oh. I loved me some AIM back in the day. MSN is better, just saying. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> Who the hell used MSN, honestly? You're Everybody the one. in Minnesota. Yeah, exactly. Only Minnesota. Right. I think in, in Baltimore here, it was definitely either uh, AIM for the most part. It was AIM, but uh, some people uh, like to flock to Yahoo for some reason. 
it was mostly AOL and AIM down here. Well, now I live in the Dallas area, but I grew up in East Texas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, AOL had a, a stranglehold on that. And even when people left AOL, they still stuck to the AOL instant messenger of the AIM. So found that uh, to be quite amazing that they were able to hold on as long as they did. Um, last topic I have here. You guys want to talk about Saquon Barkley? Dude's amazing. Is there anyone else that has a shot at Offensive Rookie of the Year? One guy, Baker Mayfield. That's it. And that's yep. amazing that you say that because Baker hasn't even started all the games that he could possibly could this season. And he's still doing pretty damn good for the Cleveland Browns. The Browns, after 11 games, are not out of playoff contention. If they end up winning six or seven or eight games, I don't think there's anybody in their right mind that won't vote Baker MVP or sorry, rookie of the year. Saquon's and- been amazing, but Baker took eight true dumpster fire and won like seven, eight games with it. I think that wins in the award easily. I mean, the I mean if, that he ended that streak in the first place of the losses was uh, pretty amazing in itself. Yeah. And, and part of the, the problem for Saquon, besides the fact that his team keeps losing is the fact that Shermer, for some reason has gone, you know, ginger clap retarded when he can't figure out what to do five touches oh last week in the second half of the 19 to three lead over the Eagles. What the hell is that when Saquon on a good day or on a, on an average day averages 10 yards a touch and he doesn't use him like that. I mean, I don't know what the hell they're doing there, but if they would have used him correctly, I think then he would probably probably be a shoe in, but with Baker's uh, charisma, his personality, that magnetism, that it factor he has, combined with the fact that he's all of a sudden made the Browns not only relevant in the NFL, but relevant nationally or relevant media wise. I think, you know, Baker's probably going to take it, you know, unless he blows out a knee or something. The fact that Baker Mayfield came on the field during that game against the Jets, and then he was able to pull off that, uh, uh, the Philly special, which he had never done in practice. It was all Tyrod doing that in practice. I just blows my mind. It shows the athleticism of the kid, and it shows that he's able to be a team player and able to do what he needs to do. Now, he's grown up a lot since college. I don't think he's fully grown up because uh, most quarterbacks wouldn't do what he's doing right now with Hugh Jackson on social media and on uh, these conference bridges. But he's definitely becoming a franchise quarterback in such a young age. See, the one thing about Baker is he is not other quarterbacks. He has that moxie. He has that charisma. And he is a leader like nobody I've personally ever seen uh, come into the NFL. I mean, yeah, you hear stories of uh, private workouts during the draft process. Uh, he like said this sound like yeehaw or something, and his receivers sprinted to him like, like it was like uh, some wartime five star general. Like that kind of stuff, and the things that his teammates say about him and are willing to do for him, and the things that he does on the field. It's it's incredible. He's like he's already showing why he was deserving of the number one overall pick and why possibly he could be setting himself up for a Hall of Fame career. Now, I could I can get on board with that. And I think if I had to make a comparison as to who uh, Baker reminds me of at this point, I would probably say and let's bring this to uh, Tyler's uh, side of the world and talk wrestling CM Punk. He's got a gravitational pull. And he's got such a way with people that when he talks, you listen. 
when milk is applied to Rice Krispies and uh, Baker Mayfield walks in the room, they shut the fuck up. They don't snap, crackle, and pop. Oh, 100%. There are just some guys that have it and some guys that don't. Baker obviously has it. He's also showing that he's got the moxie to stay in the pocket. He's got the arm talent. He's got the willingness to do put in the work, learn the playbook. Uh, his teammates love him. He's got the whole package, except that he's not six foot four, which in today's day and age, you have guys like Drew Brees who are successful. You don't need to be a giant anymore. That's the truth. Uh, what do you think, Bobby? What do you think about Baker Mayfield uh, being possibly offensive rookie of the year? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be him. I, I've loved Baker Mayfield since college back in the day. My in-laws are, are big Oklahoma fans, so I, I kind of watch him somewhat. And the moment that he planted that flag, I think it was Ohio State, and then when the Kansas players disrespected him, no, he did the whole grab his crotch, fuck you thing to him. I was like, that guy doesn't care. That guy is going to be himself. That guy is going to inspire his teammates because he's going to say, look, guys, we're just going to go be ourselves. We're going to do us, and we're going to go kick their ass. We're going to, you know, blah, 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 and, and he does it, and he backs it up on the field. And then when you have a guy that's his stature, his size, that can still back it up, not only with his swagger and with his confidence and his moxie, but then he can back it up with as athleticism, with the throws, with the key plays, he's instantly become one of my – favorite players in the NFL. I love to watch him. I love to listen to his press conferences. I follow him on Instagram. I don't follow hardly anybody on Instagram. And I follow him because I'm infatuated with the dude. I got a huge man crush in that little fucker. <laughs> now, it's he's been doing great things this year, and he's honestly elevated a team that has been otherwise shit for the past couple of years. Not even just a couple of years, past 20 years. But uh, let's let's go back to the original topic here. Saquon Barkley, over the past just two weeks alone, has had 40 attempts at rushing, 243 rushing yards, three rushing touchdowns, 51 receiving yards, and one receiving touchdown. That's nothing to sneeze at, guys. No, it's not. But when you look at the offense and the fact that he should have had 60 total touches in those two games, uh, it just feels like Saquon's being wasted up there in New York. Yeah, and listen listen to the way that, that you, me, and, and Tyler all talk about Saquon. It's like, oh, yeah, he's great. He's awesome, this, but this and that. We talk about Baker. We all got excited. The press, yeah. the media, yeah. they get excited. Listen to any talk radio or, or TV show on any sports network that you might listen to. When people talk about Baker, they get excited. Saquon is like, he's good, but it's not that level of excitement. Peeling back the curtain for you guys that are listening, uh, Baker Mayfield's name was not even on our uh, run sheet here. It was not on our format at all. We were going to talk about Saquon Barkley for this segment, and uh, now it's the Baker Mayfield segment. So that's that's how good the guy has been for this past year. Anytime I get to talk about Baker, who is, was my biggest crush ever when it came to the NFL draft, I will talk about him, and I love him. See, yeah. I, I was very surprised. I honestly thought that the Cleveland Browns were going to take Sam Darnold at number one. That's because you haven't paid enough attention to Baker Mayfield and that charisma. He won that Browns. I mean, let's be real. If the Browns were won over by fucking Johnny Manziel, Baker no. Mayfield killed it. They, the no, Browns no, were no, won it's over not by Johnny same... Manziel. was the homeless guy, remember? Oh, yeah, the homeless guy. <laughs> yeah. It's not to say that I wasn't paying attention. It's just to say... The what would the Browns do? 
And uh, quite frankly, I thought that they were going to go with Sam Darnold just because they saw some pure raw stats in college. But, the safe um, pick. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought it was something that they would like the Tim Couch type of move they did back in the day when they first rebooted. I thought that was the uh, safe mm-hmm. move that they were going to go for. But they uh, they took the chance with Baker Mayfield because let's face it, Baker Mayfield had some off the field things going on, and um, he was able to uh, so far bring it back around, and he's doing a great job in the NFL. And let's see what's to come from uh, from here. But, well, in all fairness to Baker, he had the one uh, incident where he had the DUI and he, he kind of ran away from the cops because he was an idiot 22 year of. old. And oh, there's a lot of us who have been idiots at 22. And yeah. other than that, he hasn't really had issues. And I think everything's overblown with the whole Johnny Manziel comparison because they are similar size. And uh, Baker's just a guy who balled out had a massive chip on his shoulder and he's going to Cleveland with the same thing. And he showed that at least in my opinion, that the one incident in Arkansas was a one-time thing. And let me say this as a graduate of the university of Arkansas, who I've had two kids graduate from there and whose youngest daughter is attending there and who knows exactly where Baker Mayfield got arrested, which is less than a hundred yards from where Matt Jones, the quarterback and then wide receiver for the Jaguars was also arrested, but his was for cocaine possession. So I know that's that. And when you're in Fayetteville, it's so tempting to run from the cops. A lot of them are overweight and we've all run from them there and where you're at there, tons of hiding places, lots of elevation, lots of drop off. So tons of great places to hide. I completely understand why he was trying to run and he probably should have made it. Uh, dude shouldn't have run. I mean, to your point earlier, Tyler, um, we were all 22 and dumb, but you know what? We were all not 22 and having uh, aspirations of being in the NFL and then being in uh, a head, uh, the guy at quarterback for a college. So it was a stupid thing to do. I hope he honestly learned from it. I think he did. It's very apparent now in the NFL. I mean, he still lacks maturity, but He's he's definitely grown up a lot since college. Let's just say that. Yeah, that's fair. But at the same time, how many people are talking about that? Not many at all, because he's tearing it up on the field. Honestly, if he was pulling a Johnny Manziel right now, we'd be talking more about, oh, what happened back in college, you know? Because exactly. Most people, when they're that age and when they're that have that kind of charisma, that kind of star power, they can do that kind of stuff and you can get away with it because nobody's going to remember it because you're going to do so many things that are going to eclipse that hopefully on the good side, not the bad side, but you're going to do eclipse that so many times that those little blemishes, especially when it's a one-off little thing, people are going to wipe that away as, as exactly what it is, a young mistake. Everybody made mistakes when they were that age. I did. I'm sure y'all did. Everybody does. Oh, I was a mistake, so. (laughs) (laughs) I was born a mistake. No, I I was a planned baby, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, Baker has been tearing it up this season. Uh, Completions have been 195 out of 311. That's a 62.7% completion. He's got 2,242 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 7 interceptions. His interception percentage ratio is 2.3%. That is damn good for a rookie. Oh, 100%. Uh, 
if you were to tell me that I can have a quarterback with a 2.3% uh, or 2.3 ratio as far as interceptions, I'll take that all day. I mean, right. Aaron Rodgers is first at four to one. Brady is second at three to one. Everyone else is under that. I will gladly take 2.3 to one and I will run, run and cash that check. Yeah, and he earned a lot of that ratio with Hugh Jackson as his coach, so you got to factor that in too. Yeah, He's only thrown one pick since Jackson got fired. That's amazing. I did not know that stat. Speaks volumes for Jackson. Hugh. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if this new uh, guy who was elevated to offensive coordinator, who I, I can't even think of his name. I won't. Don't even. Freddie really Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens. How the hell do you guys know that off the top of your head? Because I love this dude. <laughs> I like yes. what he said. There you go. Goodness. The guy is a nobody, and you guys are like Freddie Kitchens. I got nothing. I'm sorry. but It sounds like he's got a job next year regardless, uh, whether it's the quarterback coach or whether he's the offensive coordinator, depending on who's the uh, head coach coming in. Is Greg Williams going to retain his job? You know, if he if he keeps performing like this, It'll be hard to say no, but at the same time with his history with Bounty Gate and John Dorsey really wanting to pick his guy, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't keep it. But I was he keeps up when success. he got the interim head coach job. Well, the guy's been a good coach, and it's surprising he uh, before the Bounty Gate scandal, he didn't have a head coaching job. Uh, he was a top candidate for years. The guy's really good as a coach. I bet John Dorsey does whatever he can to keep him on staff. I don't think he gets the job, but he'll definitely get in an interview. He is a kick in the ass. I can tell you that much. Uh, did you guys watch the all or nothing on the LA Rams from their first season in LA? I did not. I watched I, parts of it. I watched him uh, when they were going over to the London game against the Jaguars and he he was bitching these people out, like chewing their asses about uh, taking a nap during the day. He's like, stop fucking taking a nap during the day. Like trying to get them acclimated with the uh, time zone. And he's just ripping them up. He's a kick in the pants that they uh, needed in Cleveland, honestly. And I think uh, the players are starting to react well to him. So it's a good possibility that the Haslam's say, well, I like what we got. This is better than the amount of wins we've had in the past three years. So why not? You never know at this point. I was surprised when it happened that he became the interim coach, but... Now I'm not going to be surprised if he becomes the head coach, period. You know, I thought he was tarnished after the whole Bounty Gate scandal, and I was surprised when he got back in the league, and I was even more surprised when he became interim head coach because I thought that the stank was never going to get off of him. And since it looks more and more like it's going to be an ownership hire, if the quarterback and you know the rest of the players get behind him, I could very easily see the ownership keeping him on. Um, otherwise, I think he's going to surface again in the NFL because, you know, we all know that NFL America, we give everybody second and third chances. Except Ray Rice. Exactly. All right, guys, uh, we've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes now, it seems like. So, um that last segment that was dedicated to Saquon became a man crush Monday on uh, – Baker Mayfield, seems like you guys think he's going to be the Offensive Rookie of the Year, and quite frankly, you've talked me into it. I'm looking at the stats now. I didn't really think too hard into that, uh, considering Saquon's past two weeks, but goodness, he's. I think they both have a good 
chunk of that voting going on. That's just my opinion. I don't think anybody else is going to get uh, Rookie of the Year. I think overall Rookie of the Year is going to go to one of those two, not just offensive, but Rookie of the Year in general. I can't wait for the John Dorsey built and Patrick Mahomes led Chiefs to rival, create the Brady Manning rivalry to the John Dorsey built and Baker Mayfield led Browns for the next decade. That is a story and a half if it is not. Hell, that that's something that Vince McMahon will get his teeth into in the WWE. Yeah, but Vince would ruin it. This could actually be something. Oh, you're fucked up. <laughs> it would get over New Japan, right? I don't know. You guys have seen the booking. It's been trash. I haven't watched it in months. That's why I have New Japan. I'm a happy guy. Uh, it, Bobby's not a uh, wrestling fan, so he doesn't care. I hadn't been watching it very much lately at all either, so I'm with you. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I don't think Vince would ruin it. Damn, that's fucked up. He's been Vince hands off everything. Lately. He, he didn't ruin the Woken universe. Yes, he did. Oh, come on. He did not. He let that shit happen. He let the, he let Matt take the reins with it, and he did pretty damn well with the uh, the ultimate deletion. Yeah, it was okay. But if they would have actually used the real TNA character without all that lawsuit stuff, and then once that all that got cleared up, they would have used the real TNA character. Holy crap, would that have been great. But it just it felt like a missed opportunity. And then they rushed what they had anyways. Yeah. Like always. Yeah, they uh I felt like they tried to compact a year's worth of stuff with Ray Wyatt into just three months. I was uh but I was surprised that Vince even allowed the Hardy Compound thing to happen at all, to be honest with you. I think that had something to do with Triple H. Triple Probably, H is yeah. a smart guy. Yeah, I think someone pulled a fast one on him. <laughs> All the right, only guys. reason why you're doing that now is because Vince is a little bit older and a little bit slower. That's the truth, yeah. Uh, God, he's you know he's in his 70s now. Got to line up the next in line. It's probably going to be Stephanie and Triple H running the damn show after this is over. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yep. Alrighty, folks, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. I really appreciate you two coming on. I'd like to have you on again sometime in the near future, maybe co-hosting a little bit if you got some time. Um, maybe we can uh, – I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Mike Florio did not say no to coming on to the podcast. Oh, no, oh. I, I, I was the one who told you, CJ. Uh, yeah. it, it would It would be really cool, but if we're going to do that, we should get kinks ironed out before that happens. I agree. Um, we'll we'll definitely. Uh, I think we should do one or two more, at least, episodes together. And uh, I'd like for the two of you to be on the show with me doing the interview with him. I think uh, PFTP and Posse style will uh, will tag team up against Mike and get the uh, hard hitting truth out of him. Well, and not only did he not say no, he said hit me up in the off season. And if you remember correctly, when the PFTP and Posse was formed was when Mike said, I think I'm going to quit it, and then ended up being a thing where he ended up doing it almost five days a week and now doing it most of the time, three days a week during the season. He'll be on during the offseason. Just wait. I wouldn't even mind taking off work or come, leaving early for the day and uh, coming and interviewing him. So we'll we'll see what happens. We got, uh, we got some potential lined up here, and I, I've got some really good guests lined up over the next couple of weeks. 
And uh, if you guys want to come on and co-host with me at some point, you're more than welcome to. I've, I'm always uh, open to got my chair here. My buddy Chef Chad has been co-hosting. Uh, Tyler, you remember uh, – Bobby, you remember him from uh, when we did your episode. So um, Absolutely. Any of you guys are always more than welcome to come on the show, and I appreciate you coming on. So Sounds uh, good, CJ. Thanks a lot for having me. No problem. You guys have a good one, all right? Yep. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Had a good one, CJ. Talk to you all later, right. Tyler. I had a hell of a time bringing these guys on today. It was amazing to bring those uh, fellas on and produce them, and it was just a fun time. And I'm so glad that Tyler and Bobby were able to give me an over an hour of their time, especially during Thursday Night Football, just to ensure that we're able to get a good episode into you guys this week. So over the next coming weeks, we've got some pretty cool guests coming up. Uh, at Chef Chad Wells is going to be coming back on the show. He was there for... Bobby's original episode and he's going to be doing a little co-host with me uh, probably going to have him on uh, future episodes as well but he's going to uh, come on and talk Baltimore Ravens with me I'm not sure if he's going to be on next week or the week after but we're going to iron out the details later I've got some other guys lined up down the pike and uh, some other females too so we'll we'll get a variety of people uh, across the nation we'll get some guests going on and of course I'll drop a podcast with my thoughts here and there about what's going on in the NFL I'm looking forward to uh, doing this in the future, and uh, I'm going to keep this going on a weekly basis as much as I possibly can. And uh, I want to thank you guys very much for listening, and I will talk to you next week.